Oh, it's good to be here. You know, it, uh, for the last few weeks, we've been in a series. I'm going to move this just a little. And we had kind of a break last week for it when Pastor Doug was here from Plum Creek Church. What a great message. And one of the things that I want to encourage you that is in this series on becoming, there's been some a start to this with Jim Ladd that preached the first week of February. This first week of March, we had a continuation with Doug Miller, pastor there. And boy, if you haven't listened to those messages, I want to really encourage. They're on our YouTube, Summit Church Colorado, or you can go to the website, go to the app there, either one of those, and get those messages. But I believe that they'll, they'll help you. If you're here today, I can tell you those messages will help you grow. I just, uh, just want to encourage you there. You know, as we walk through this thing, I've been asking you a question. Some of this uh, is a little redundant. Now, my wife, in a loving way, two weeks ago told me, because I told the same story of the Lion King, and she, uh, at home, in a loving way, said, you know, that's only about the 19th time you've used that as an illustration. And I said, I only counted six, but we'll let it go with that. Her numbers are always better than mine. I said, but a lot of times I, near, I need to hear it for the first time again. You know what I mean? But I go back several years ago. I was teaching a, a course for master's, PhD level down at a seminary. And as we started each class, we went over what the purpose was, what we were trying to do, what we expected to come out of there with. Took about till about the third class. And finally, somebody looked at that. And they said, you know, you've told us. And I said, Yes, I know that. Then there was this pause, and then they said, thank you. That it's just that constant repetition sometimes we need to see. You know, we build habits by repeating things, by doing it, making a decision, and that process. So you'll hear me say some stuff at the beginning here that you've heard me say before. As your pastor, I ask you... Will you join us on a great adventure to becoming a disciple that's fully devoted, spiritually maturing, and a reproducing follower of Christ? Will you join us on a great adventure? I want to tell you something. In about 23 years in the military, before I was walking with the Lord, I thought I was living a great adventure. I jumped out of airplanes, jumped out of this huge balloon in Belgium at their commando school, punched out of a sub down at Guantanamo Bay on some training. You know, and you'd ask somebody and they'd say, yeah, it's great. I'm just, what a great adventure, just living the dream. Well, let me just tell you from the very beginning, you don't know what a great adventure is until you live with Jesus. You don't know what a great adventure life can be until you make a decision to walk with Jesus. All of those other things brought some exhilaration for a brief period of time. But I will tell you this, that this idea, this, this, this powerful idea that God has to join Him on this great adventure of living a life that He created you for, there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else like it. I struggled with that for a lot of years. And uh, <laughs> just for the men here, ladies, you, if you're not listening to me, this is a good time to stop. You might have picked up on how he said that. Guys, let me just tell you something, all of us men in here that have wives, family, responsibility for others. Here's one of the things that hit me, and you say you have. People say, I, I've lived a life with no regrets. Mm, good for them. I have some things in my life that I do have some regrets, and I would love to, to change, but God redeemed them. But I would tell you this, just for us guys here. All of the time that I tell you that I wasn't living a great adventure, thought I was living this exciting life, you know what else I realized years down the line? That when I wasn't living the true great adventure with Jesus Christ, 
I was hurting my wife's great adventure. I was hurting my kids' great adventure. And I was keeping them from living the great adventure God had for them fully. So us guys, let's don't think that we live in this island by ourselves. And this just affects me. Don't worry about it. I'm only one that really affects on this. No, it's not, guys. Everything we do when we're not living the great adventure, I will guarantee you, you're a roadblock to keeping people you love from living a great adventure as well. So in a simple term, hey guys, let's man up and live a great adventure together. And I haven't even gotten into the message yet. <laughs> How cool is that? There are four things that we say about God's Word here in Summit Church is, we believe this is alive. We believe it's God's Word to us. We believe everything in here was meant for a purpose. And I know people can say, well, it's contradictory. Every time they do, that just means I got more to learn. But there's four things about this that I believe to be true at this church is one, everything in here has to be teachable. We learn it. Some of it you get in this way from the pulpit, but you get most of the learning from being alongside one another, doing life with one another. That's where we learn. We catch more than we're taught in that sense. The second thing about this is it has to be reachable. If we're presenting things at Summit Church and you look at it and you go, as you heard from me a few weeks ago, I didn't think that was reachable for me. The reality of it is then it just becomes nice words, but it's not really the, something that gives us a game plan to a great adventure. So it's got to be reachable and it's got to be applicable. We're going to talk about application next week in this, but this application part, where does it really make sense in my life? What do I do with it? And then the other part of it is with that definition, it's reproducible because that's what God's called us to be is His. We're going to give you three things here that I've been doing all along. One is, I want to tell you that this is a safe environment for you to belong before you have to believe. I don't care what you brought into this auditorium. Generally, in a group like this, there's a lot of different beliefs. There's probably a lot of different political views. There's probably a lot of different ideas and opinions on a whole lot of things, okay? But I want you to know you're safe to be here, regardless of what you brought in. And you're safe to belong here before you have to believe. Because the quickest way, I think, or the best way to find something is let people give you a chance to search some truths out for yourself. So that's one. The second thing here is we're all on a journey. We want to create a safe place for you, regardless of where you're at on your personal journey. And the third thing is we want to help you identify your gifts. We want to help you understand why God created you, that you're not here by accident. So to identify your gifts, your passions, your calling, and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you on your destiny. And so that destiny, we believe, is to become a disciple. That's what God calls us to be. I remind you again, when we give you the working definition here at Summit Church for a disciple. A disciple is someone who is a fully devoted, that's the heart issue, remember that, spiritually maturing, that's the journey we're all on at a different place, reproducing, that's the product that God wants from this that we will reproduce, and the follower is the head issue. So we make that decision. That's what a, that's what a disciple is. That's what God has called us to be in that process. So we talked about our spiritual identity two weeks ago before we had that time with Doug Miller here, Pastor Doug Miller. And there was some parts I'm going to take you through and just give you a sneak preview. We started off and we started talking first about what is a disciple. That's when we talked about a disciple, this fully devoted, spiritually maturing, reproducing follower of Christ. But then what we did the next week is we talked about the difference between perfection and spiritually maturing. Because if it was about perfection, 
And if that was the gold standard that we had to achieve to be the person God had created us to be, to be perfect, I would be the first one that had to leave the room. You need to know that. I would be the first one to have to leave the room if God's gold standard was being perfect. But God's standard, what He wants for us, is this spiritually maturing that we discern good from evil. We courageously act on the good and we take responsibility. That's the process, and that allows us to be a little better tomorrow than we was yesterday or even today. And so when we look at that process there, our idea today is, last two weeks ago was spiritual identity, to know who you are and whose you are. That's foundational. You know, if you, if you are not sure of your identity and your identity in Christ, it's hard to build anything on that. But you have to know who you are and whose you are in that process. Today, we're going to talk about spiritual formation. That spiritual formation, our big idea is simply this, that God desires for each of us, God desires for each one of us to be constantly reforming. It says forming, but reforming is what we want here into the nature of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God tells us that very clearly, that that's the desire for Him, that there is this process of not just forming, but reforming, taking what was formed and reforming that in the image of Jesus Christ in spirit and what we're doing with that. And you see it there with the little re because that's what's needed. Spiritual formation, I said, is simply this. Look, that is knowing what we believe and why we believe it. We've got to nail that down. I don't know about you in this culture that we live in, and this isn't to speak against anything. I I guess my very first message was we were going to talk about what we stand for, not what we stand against. But just as an awareness of this, you know, it's not difficult to go on Facebook or any of those other news medias I said that lightly, you know, where all the truth is presented, you know, all of those. And you'll see people with the praying hands praying for somebody one day and then their hate and that just comes out the next day. And look, by the way, let's get this right. Before we sit here and think too highly of ourselves than we ought to, some of the worst stuff that I've seen on Facebook comes from people that call themselves Christians and say they attend church. So let's don't use attending church as the standard for calling ourselves a Christian and think if we check that block, then we've got this thing. That's not it at all. God will know more about what we actually believe and what we actually feel we can stand on by how we choose to live our life. And next week, we'll talk about spiritual application. How do we take what we believe and why we believe it and apply it to where we live, work, and play? Because isn't that where the rubber really meets the road? Come on, folks. We can look great on a Sunday, can't we? I mean, really, Sunday, everybody looks, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great. How's your week? Hey, we're doing great. Unless you got ran over by a car. But other than that, you're having a super week. You understand what I'm saying? But then Monday gets a little tougher, doesn't it? And then you go through that. So we'll talk about how do we really apply that. And then we'll talk the next week about reproducing. But if we're talking about reforming, this idea of forming, we've got to understand. And people say, well, Chuck, wasn't I formed? Didn't you teach us that I knew you before I formed? Yeah, I did. But let me tell you what God says about this. In Galatians 4.19, here's what God tells us. He says this, my little children. Okay, let me just pause right there for a second, because when Somebody says, my little children, doesn't that establish a family relationship? I mean, so what God is saying, and He's speaking to us through the letter to the the Galatians there, my little children, my sons and daughters, is what He's saying to us, for whom I, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, let me just leave that up and tell you, let's focus on 
one word right now. The word is again. Again. Let me tell you what that means in the original text. It means again. So when you say again, what the actual meaning is, he means again. Once more. Could actually read this scripture say, my little children, my sons and daughters, I am again in the anguish of childbirth. I am once again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So what he is saying here is God is acknowledging, he's saying to us, look, I formed you once. I got that part. You were formed here, but it is the desire of my life when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be reformed into the image. And he doesn't mean the physical image. You know, we look like the guy on Chosen. I couldn't get my hair to look that good and wear, you know, the sandals. But the idea is that spiritually, when people see you, what they're seeing is spiritually the image of Christ. And you say, well, how does that happen? Because of how you live your life, what people see in you. Several years ago, I told you not living the great adventure. 1986 to 1987 was a transforming year for me, but it wasn't just done then. I wish I could tell you that I made a decision for all of you out there that said, you know what, Chuck, if I do this one thing, will it be great? And I said, yeah, that'll take care of it. The skies will open up You'll hear the hallelujah choir singing. The light from heaven will get bright and a dove will descend on you. It's a one-time thing. Just take care of that. Life is good. I went into this incredible journey in 1986. It was a journey to know who I was and whose I was and my relationship with the Lord. It would ultimately, and I'll give you the time frame from 86 to 1992. 1991, I got down on my knees quietly at the home Fairfax, Virginia, and said, God, this is yours. And what the change was for me is I went from having a Savior, guys, just us, Savior means to us guys that we have fire insurance, you know, that not burn in hell insurance on the thing we love most, us. We haven't really changed who's in the center of the world. We've just taken out a fire insurance policy. You don't really change your life till you add the word Lord and Savior. That means two different things. If it didn't mean two different things, God wouldn't have put them in there with two different things. But that means that Lordship of Jesus Christ in our life, that we're living a life that we believe will honor God, and it's not about us over here in the center of the world, but we've replaced the center from us to being Jesus Christ, living through the power of the Holy Spirit here. So you say, Chuck, well, in 1991, that decision was made. 92, And again, I'm not telling you it was perfect. I'm telling you some days it was two steps forward, one step back. There was a lot of days when I just, I I was excited if I just broke even, you know what I mean? And I just didn't feel like I was losing ground. And then there was days I felt like I lost some ground. We'll let that go. But in 1992, we're getting ready to leave the Pentagon. Guy comes up to me I'd known in 1986. But what he said, Chuck, we've got to meet. He said, there's something different about you. Now, I hadn't said anything to this guy. I wore the same uniform I wore when he saw me. I, I was, you know, we were in a different place, you know, so forth. But he says, there's something so different about you. And that was one of the moments in my life that I could look back and I say, God, you really are doing something, aren't you? Now, I wish I could tell you, I could sit back and go, good to be at the finish line. Boy, did I pull that one off. Not happening. I'm still on that same journey, folks. 
I'm still on that same journey. I'm just in a different place. And God's got a lot of work to do with me, okay? But we know this, that he says this anguish of childbirth is what he's saying. And so we get to this, but we know we were formed. Remember in Jeremiah 1.5, what did God tell us there through that, through the prophet Jeremiah? He says, look, before I formed you, one of the earliest messages I talked about was talking about just in that Scripture, God talks about before your mom was pregnant, when your mom was pregnant, and after you were delivered, God had His hand on the whole process, okay? And he looked at that and he says, but I got it. So God loved you then. God created you then. God formed you then. And yet now he's talking about this anguish of a new childbirth that you're going through, that he's seeing, and he's a witness to this, because you're going to come out of this as a different person spiritually. See, God's not focused on the, the issue of, you know, the, the idea of the flesh changing. He's talking about the spirit. But he tells us this, that we've got to be born again. That's that term that he uses there. Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John, when he tells us this, and Nicodemus is trying to figure this thing out, going, what do I got to do here? You know, is there this? Is there a pattern? Do you have a, a checklist for me that will tell me I'm on the right path and I've done what I need to do? And then Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, okay? He's not talking. Remember Nicodemus said, oh, you know, how do I do that? Go back to my mother. They go through. He goes, no, 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 no. He says, you got to understand. It's not being born of the flesh. It is being born of the spirit that God has for us. And so he tells him that, and he goes on then to say in chapter in verse six and seven, that that is born of the flesh, that is born of the flesh is flesh. And that that is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. And what God is telling us there through the letter with John is that, look, Jesus is speaking and saying, look, you got to be born again. you got to be born again, but not of the flesh to redo that, right? This isn't this makeover physically. This is spiritually. You have to be born again spiritually. That that, that anguish that God is seeing there in that childbirth is the anguish of him being able to say, you know, you're being born again in this process. Now, part of this is you say, gosh, Chuck, that's, that's a tough one in a sense that, see, I, I'm not sure if I was born again, but, well, here's the problem. I mean, does God not love me as much until I do this, this, and this? But I thought God loved me. That's what everybody said, that God loves me. Oh, God loves you. Don't get it wrong. Look, I can speak as a husband, a father, a grandfather, and a great-grandfather. Look, this love that we have for our own is there. And one of the problems that we have here is we think, well, if I just do this, God will love me more. Why? Because we've experienced that here on earth. You know, there is this quid pro quo kind of thing. Well, I'll do this if you'll do this. You know, if you only do this, I could love you more. And we have this feeling, whether it's said in words or not, that's not God. That's not our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father says He loves you more now than you can possibly imagine. He couldn't love you more, and He will never love you less. But that's hard to get, isn't it? You know, here's why. Because, you see, sometimes what we've done is we've confused this issue of disappointment with love. Have you ever been disappointed in somebody, but your heart breaks because you love them so much? If you have kids, you've experienced that, trust me. If you have parents, your parents have experienced that with you. Okay, well, just let that go. 
But the reality of it is there are some things in life. We got people looking at each other now saying, you were a lot worse than I am. Okay. (laughs) All right. Here's the deal. Here's something I didn't do well as a father. And I had to learn this. And there's things that I'd love to be able to do again, in a sense. I can tell you about it. I can be honest with you. It's okay to be disappointed for your kids. It's not okay to be disappointed in them. Now, here's why. When I expressed disappointment in my children for what they did, I was attacking their identity, and I was breaking and severing the relationship that we had as a father-son or father-daughter. That's what happens when you're disappointed in somebody. But when you're disappointed for them, what that means is, is that based on your experience where you are in life, what the decisions they've made, and sometimes it's really based on decisions we've made, the mistakes in, isn't it? that we did something wrong, and we know as a result of that where that's heading, and we can be disappointed for them without being disappointed in them. That doesn't separate us from our identity of the father-son, the father-daughter. God's the same way. Is God disappointed for you at times? Yes, God is disappointed for you because we're imperfect creatures. We're His. He loves us beyond our imagination and comprehension. But get this, We've made some terrible decisions, haven't we? Well, maybe not you. Okay, let's just look at me. That's why I get to stand up here, because everything I say out there to you, you get to look there at Chuck and go, boy, I'm sure Chuck really needed that, right? But the reality of it is God loves you desperately. That's why the desire of His heart is this journey where you're being reformed in the process. That means the form that you were in, not physically, but spiritually, is being reformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's what He tells us in this process. In 1 John 3, 2, He tells us this. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Okay, let's just pause right there for a second. There's a word there at the beginning, and the word is now. Now, let me tell you what that means in the original text. It means now. Did you get that? This very moment. Nothing now, right now. We are God's children now. And He tells us that to reinforce that not only are we His children, He loves us as His very own. But then He says this, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall all be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Now, what this is saying to us, this goes back to our journey, doesn't it? God is acknowledging and He's saying, look, for some of you that may think God has these great expectations that you have to be perfect, never make a mistake, you call yourself a Christian, but look what you did yesterday. How could God love a person like that, right? I've missed it. No, you haven't missed it. You're living life in a fallen world. But here's what He says, get up and start doing better next time. Make a decision. That's what God's telling us in this. But He's saying this, the part about our full reforming that's going to take place, well, it hasn't been completed yet because we haven't seen Him in whose image we're being reformed in the image of. But it says, God's saying, You know, if he could ever put a trust me in there, that would be the place he'd put a trust me. Because he's saying this, my children, as you allow me to reform your spirit and you walk in the fullness of who you are, when you see him, you'll know exactly who who he is because you'll look just like him. You'll look just like him. You know, some of you guys, you look at old people and you think, guys, the longer they've been together, the more they look alike. You know what the other one is? You know if they have a dog? 
and you got two old people walking their dog, they all three look alike. You see them walking down the street, you know, and they're walking their dog like this. Don't laugh. That's me. Okay? They're walking their dog. And you look up and Karis will go, they all three look just alike. Okay? I said, yeah, that's how it is in life. You know, we, we start the longer we're together, the more we look like each other and some things like that. Right? But here's the things. We focus on here what will be on those words, and God tells us that. And this tells us that what? We are becoming. That's God's desire for us here. God didn't do a one and done. We do this. We pray the prayer. We raise our hand. Everything's great. And we say, you know, it's cool now. Just keep living your life the way you were living it. God didn't intend it that way. God desires for us to be different and acknowledge who He is because we know who He is, whose we are, and, you know, who He is and whose we are in this process there. So we start and we talk about this, right? So this idea of being reformed, you know, we think about it. If somebody says reformation, you know, for so many of us, that word goes back 500 years ago. Well, it was actually longer than that. It was 1517. Here's the fun part of that. Here's a sidebar. If you're ever on Jeopardy, you'll know the answer. So Martin Luther is in this little town of Wittenberg, Germany, okay? And he's at the seminary there, but he's a priest, I mean, that's all everybody was back then. It was all the Catholic, the Roman, Empire, the Roman Empire right there. Everybody thinks it was this huge argument and he was trying to pick a fight. That wasn't the case at all. Back in those days, the 1500s there, if they had a theological subject to discuss, they would nail that subject up, and it was kind of like, can we talk about this? I've read this Scripture here. I've done this. Well, you know, he had a bunch of them, 60-plus, you know, of these questions. And everybody's taken it, I think, in kind of a wrong way. If you go and you look at Reformation 1517, what's really fun is you see these old pictures that they did in ink of what it would have looked like back then, and you see the door, right? 500 years later, that was October 31st, 1517. October 2017. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. My wife and I are standing at the door right there in Wittenberg. Got to stand at the door. She wants to go. You're in trouble. Okay. You're in trouble right now. Get the passport. Okay. Let me just clue you in. When a young lady, right, that you have a relationship and feelings for says, oh, that'd be nice. Just start packing. Okay. You might as well. Yeah. And if you're sitting down, put your shoes on, men. Get up and let's go do it. And here's the, here's the biggest trap of all. You ready? When they say, you don't have to do this right now. How many of you heard that, right? Just go ahead and get up, buddy. You know the rule. Okay. So we were standing at the door, and we got to pray right there. We got to go inside the church and be right there. So the, the Reformation, people take that as the Reformation of faith. Get this. All faith is, it's an embodiment of those that are walking in it. Did you get that? Faith, if nobody's in it, doesn't mean a thing, does it? So when the Reformation that we talk about with Martin Luther, and it starts, you know, in, in 1517, what happens there is... The whole structure, what was the big deal? You know, until then, we were still Old Testament. Even though there was a New Testament, it was still Old Testament. What I mean by that is you had to talk to somebody else and find out what this meant. You had to talk to somebody else and find out what God was saying. You had to have an intermediary between you and God, your father. You had to, you know, it's like being in a fight and your wife says, don't worry about the kids, I'll talk to them for you. No, 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 no. That's not the rule. The rule is this is for all of us right now, every word in here. So the biggest thing was, was the construct in which we got to express our faith changed completely. That meant you get to talk to God, your father. You get to pray to God. You get to tell him your troubles. You get to thank him for keeping people alive and all the things that happen. You have direct access. 
That's what this means. And it means in here, you're capable of understanding these words. Do we have to study together sometimes? Oh, yes, we do. And it's great. And we learn a lot that way. But here's the big deal. You don't have to put this over in a corner in a little piece and bring it out only when there's somebody that comes in that can tell you what it means. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. Open it up. God will tell you what it means. That's what took place. But here's why. Here's why the Reformation was so important, I think. The Reformation opened it up for us to be in a Reformation, not of the construct, you know, the the building of our faith, but in the faith itself that we have, it came true. It came to light. This was about us being reformed. Now, why is this important? We have to take responsibility for our faith. I am so grateful when I look out and the privilege I have of standing here before you as a pastor. But if I ever put you in a position that the only place you could come and learn, and 35-minute message here, sometimes 42 if you mind, yeah, okay, 44, I heard the laugh. But if I ever insinuated in any way to you that this one hour and five or ten minutes on a Sunday morning was all you needed to get you by the rest of the week and be the person that God created you to be. That would be one of the greatest mistakes that could have been made. You see, because God wants you to be ready. Remember, I've said it with all the days that end and why. We need each other through the week. We need more than this service here, but we need to build on that in community. That's, we'll talk about community groups, and we'll talk about just being with one another and so forth. That's the part that's so important there. And when we look at a church here and this idea of all the things that I believe that God is calling Summit to be, and we go back to being a safe place for you to do this, you've got to know that this is a safe place for you to wrestle. You know, one of the things that I struggle with at churches is for young people, if it's not a safe place for them to say, how do you know there's a God? If the church isn't the safe place to ask that question, then the church isn't really the church as God intended it to be. It's got to be a safe place for that, right? We can look at any other thing. Now, here's the biggest problem, and this is one of the reasons I love being here, but I just believe across America and around the world, we have way more culture coming into the church than we got Jesus going into the culture. And one of the things that I believe about Summit Church is you can wrestle with these things. And I'm going to tell you three things a little different here. One, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever political view, I don't really give a rip. You're safe here. You're safe to come here and belong before you have to believe. You're safe here to journey and find out who this man Jesus is. You're safe here to come in and have doubts. You're safe here to come in and ask, why did God allow this? And we can go through questions. You're in a safe place to belong before you believe. You're in a safe place regardless of your journey. But I will also tell you this. You come in some church, you're going to hear about Jesus. Because there is no greater adventure. There is no safer place than to be with Jesus. And so that's my promise to you. But I want you to be here, and I want you to grow. You know, when we look at this here, 
We talk about this idea of this new nature. We talk about what Christ is doing. This won't be on your, on your slides. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And this is really, we talk a lot about the new nature and what that means. Let me just tell you, kind of give you a, Again, I go back to my military experience. When I started off in the military in 1971, I've already told you, I was at the lowest rank. And the only reason I wasn't at a lower rank is they didn't have one. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, in basic training, uh, the, the clothes didn't fit, you know, shave your head. I mean, it's about as ugly a time as you can get in your life. And then they offer to take pictures and send them to your parents. What in the world are we thinking? And then we all did, like we thought we were cute. That was terrible. That was like a Halloween thing, a poster, seeing what you looked like that first week of basic training when they gave you a uniform that didn't fit. But I looked through all of those years, and what it was doing is, and all of the training there was to change and give you a new nature that was consistent with what you were called to do in that time frame. What does the new nature do? Get this. Because of your nature, here's what happens. That determines what you do naturally. That's why you have those words that are the same. Nature, your nature, determines what you do naturally. So when you see somebody and they do this and they do something and you, they look so good over here, and then you go, but that just really wasn't like them. When you hear them on Wednesday and the language they use or how they're treating people and all of the other stuff, right? And people will go, Wow, I saw him in church on Sunday. That wasn't like him. See, ladies, I didn't say her in church on Sunday. I said him. It's a tough day for the guys, but stay with me on this, will you? Okay, bottom line is we go, gosh, I saw him in church on Sunday. That wasn't like him at all. I go, no, that was like him. What he was doing over here was putting on a show here, right? Because it was more of a social venture for him here than it was how he was to live his life because that didn't really change how he got over here and actually lived his life. So we've got to get this right, that what we do naturally will come from our nature. So if we want to do things different naturally, how we respond with words, how we respond with our thoughts, how we respond with our heart, we've got to allow God to reform us and change our nature, right? Give us a new nature is what he says. And when he's doing that, what he's doing is he's taken that old form that we were born with, right? And he is reforming that in the image of Jesus Christ, the spiritual image of Jesus Christ. That's what God desires for us there. And we've got to get this thing right. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you some steps to take. And I realize I'm not going to go down through a doctrinal study right now and tell you here's what we believe and here's what we don't in that. But I'm going to tell you, there's our statement of faith and things online, and we'll do a lot of teaching on that. But let's talk about some of the steps that we have here. First is, boy, you got to know Jesus, okay? If you're asking God to reform you in the image of Jesus, you have to know what you're asking God to reform you into, right? And we have to know. The second part of that is that identity piece we talked about in knowing Jesus Christ. You have to know who you are and whose you are. That's that identity piece. And we talked about how easy it is in the world for that to get destroyed. Here's the second thing. The tub is out. I've been asking for a zip line because I really think it would be impressive to come right off that zoom right in. But they talked to me about finances and it's not in the budget and things like that. So we're going to hold off on that. Okay. So I will tell you this. Chloe is being baptized today. You're going to love Chloe. Come on. When I was in the atrium and I was joking and I told Carrie, I said, okay, when we come down the zip line, it'll get real. And Chloe goes, 
We get to do a zip line? And I said, no, Chloe, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> I let that thing just slip out there. But uh, I think she would do that right away. But if you haven't signed up for baptism and you say, you know what, Chuck? I've been wanting to do this. I know I need to do that. And let's understand something. Baptism is not your salvation experience. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision, and you're acting out of obedience. That's what that is. It's an outward expression to be obedient of an inward decision that you have made. That's what it is. So we're doing baptisms regularly, and we're going to do them right here as a family. So everybody gets to be a part of that. But baptism is very important. Jesus Christ showed us the way. Remember, he showed up with John the Baptist, and John goes, you know, shouldn't I be baptizing you? And Jesus said, just stay with me, son. Stay with me. I need to do this first. And he did. So bottom line is, it's very, very important if you haven't been. Third, Growth Track. Growth Track 2 is today. We do it every month after each of the services. We've upped the game on this thing because we want it to be available for you. Growth Track is one of those opportunities to help you understand the church, to begin processing, to help you on this journey for that discipleship process, but to understand passion, gifts, calling, and where God has you and so forth. The fourth thing is community groups. Look community groups. It was kind of fun with the staff and the team and the elders because we all got it at the same time. I think, you know, a lot of churches and you see this pattern. There's an eight week in the spring, eight week in the summer and eight week in the fall. I'm not a real fan of that because, and I'm not a real strong mathematician. People can help with this, but if I do eight, eight and eight, that's 24, there's 52. You know what that said? We had more weeks. We weren't meeting in a group than we were meeting in a group. And everybody said, no, it's continuous. We go straight on through. We'll announce the different sessions. There may be a different study, but our groups are going to be continuous through. And everybody at any time will have an opportunity to jump into a community group and not feel like they're lost. Those are available to you right now. You say, I wasn't there for two weeks. Guess what? They're ready for you now, and you're where you're supposed to be. And then the fourth thing here is, and we do a lot of this, is the idea of just being together conversations, meeting together, and a lot of what we do here in this process. So here's the deal. God is in the process and desires to reform you spiritually into the son and daughter, son or daughter he created you to be. That's what God wants to do. There's a part of this that's very important that takes you. Very often people will say, you know, I just don't feel like I'm growing. And the question is, what have you done to grow? Well, nothing. That's somebody else's responsibility to teach me. That's not true. We're all in this together. Your spiritual development depends on your willingness to be obedient to what God's putting on your heart, even with the initial few steps. It doesn't have to be major, the initial few steps. That's what we've got to get to. And we will do this as a church. I will tell you again. The elders, the staff, the team, our dream team, we're absolutely convinced. If we build a church with a foundation of prayer that is raising up and building disciples, God's going to honor this, and God will use some church to make an impact in this area that God has called us to minister to. Through every generation, every culture, every economic group, that's what we want God to do with us here. I want to invite you into that process too. It is truly the real great adventure. Let's get in this one together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you, Lord. Father, we think of things like a great adventure. What a great adventure, Father. 
to get to do life with you, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit as you guide us. Father, come to feel there's nothing more exciting, nothing more exciting to live out a great adventure, Father, with you. I pray for everyone here, Father, and I come again and say, Father, don't let us leave here any different. Don't let us leave here the same as when we came in. We, we want to be different. That's why we're here today. So, Father, I ask your blessings in the blood of Jesus over each person here. Father, will you bless them? Let them feel your presence. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's family said, that was so weak. That really was. I'm going to do this again. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, see, wasn't that better? And you have to feel better doing that. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. Big day, big day. Our worship team is going to lead us through the first song of our response time. That's going to give me a chance to sneak out and some other people sneak out to get ready to jump into the hopefully warm water. But when we're done with that, we have two baptisms today. If anybody else wants to jump in, we'll make it happen. At the end of that, our worship team's gonna come back and they're gonna remind you, but we have a lot of opportunities to respond. The most important thing you can do today is not listen to me. You know what the most important thing you can do today is? Be obedient to what God puts on your heart through the Holy Spirit. Whether that's pray with someone, take communion, whether it's put a prayer on the cross or privately just go to somebody and ask for prayer or get off of whatever it is, the most important thing you're going to do today is be obedient to what God has placed on your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when they get through, we get through with the baptism, you'll have a chance to get up and respond to that and they'll lead us in another song here. Thank you. Guys, thank you.